You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more. So you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. As the president said, uh, our one China policy has not changed. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. Pennsylvania is very good at what they do uh, when it comes to elections, contrary to what some former presidents might say. Donald Trump, you know, he's won some and lost some so far in this election cycle, but his endorsement still really does matter. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Joe Biden says, yes, America will defend Taiwan militarily if China invades. Or did he say that? Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the president makes news on his first trip to Asia, not just the kind of White House wanted. We'll discuss the impact of the trip as well as the latest from Ukraine following a very busy weekend with David Gartenstein Ross, the CEO of Valens and advisor at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Later, the White House monitoring the monkeypox outbreak. Are you up to date on this? We're going to speak with an expert, infectious disease expert Dr. Matt Lawrence from the University of Maryland about what it might mean for policy and possibly the economy. And a day before the Georgia primary, we assemble our signature panel for analysis with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. So here we are, back together again on a Monday, a new week of opportunities, or so we like to think. And we're starting to get used to this routine as the White House moves to clarify comments from President Biden about Taiwan. This time the president was in Tokyo. News conference with the prime minister, formal News conference reporters in the room, Joe Biden asked about the one China policy and our willingness to defend Taiwan from China. Again, we've been down this road a lot of times. And unlike many news stations today, we're going to play you the entire exchange. OK, the reporter and the president. Here we go. You didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are. Hmm. That's the commitment we made. That's the commitment we made. We are not. Look, here's the situation. We agree with the one China policy. We signed on to it and all the attendant agreements made from there. But the idea that that it can be taken by force, just taken by force, is just not is just not appropriate. It will dislocate the entire region and be another action similar to what happened in, in, uh, in Ukraine. 
And so it's a, it's a burden that is even stronger. Okay. So the question was, are you willing to get involved militarily in Taiwan, she said, if it comes to that? Very direct question. His answer was yes, period. One word answer. That almost never happens in politics or anywhere. One word, a yes or no answer. But again, he just mentioned the one China policy. The president also said at the same event that the U.S. was not changing its policy toward Taiwan, which the White House then underscored for the rest of the day. Nothing to see here. Move right along. And a short time later, uh, the sec def chimed in. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin hit that home from the Pentagon. As the president said, uh, our one, t- uh, pine- one China policy has not changed. Uh, he uh, reiterated that policy and our commitment to peace and stability across uh, across the Taiwan Strait. But as you'll read on the terminal, the president, the president or and or his aides have had to clarify his remarks on Taiwan four separate occasions. Leading some to wonder if maybe that's actually how he really feels. Sometimes it comes out, remembering that just last week, China's top diplomat said that the U.S. member was going down a dangerous road when it comes to Taiwan. They're well well aware of this. And after a meeting of the Quad Nations here on the trip, that's the big uh, finale, the trip, U.S., Japan, Australia, India. You wonder how Beijing would be feeling then. That's why we wanted to talk to David, David Gartenstein, Ross, the CEO of Valens, Senior Advisor on Asymmetric Warfare at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. David, welcome. I want to start with these comments from Joe Biden before I ask you about some other things. Should we just believe at some point what he's saying when it comes to Taiwan? I'd say no, because the U.S.'s policy is more than just the policy of the president. You have this embarrassing spectacle each time Biden answers directly. We're the White House, which Biden, of course, is the head of, then tries to walk back what he said. So obviously we should believe that this is what Biden thinks. That's right. But okay. what the U.S. thinks is different than what the president thinks. Fine to make the difference. But, but you know, sometimes the truth comes out when you speak publicly a lot. And so this does sound like it's coming from his heart, right? Realizing that's not necessarily the policy of the administration he leads. That's your point. Well, yeah. And so if the question is, should we believe that this is what's in Biden's heart? Absolutely we should. He said it too many times to think otherwise. Yeah. But U.S. policy is a complex thing. You can see this even you, you can see this across almost every administration we've had recently. If mm-hmm. you go to the Trump administration, there's Trump versus the deep state, right? Uh, at least the way it was framed publicly. You know what? What is the U.S.'s position? Well, that shows the U.S. being in opposition with itself. In this case, the Biden case, it's nowhere near as extreme, but you still have this lack of unity and statements that are being constantly walked back by the White House after the president says them. Of course, Beijing likes to read between the lines, I suspect, as well. What is the combination, David, of these remarks based on just the projection of power that we've seen since the trip began, going through South Korea, going to Japan, culminating with the meeting of the Quad? Overall, a successful trip on the whole. Um, There were you know, a few different issues at play. One big issue is North Korea. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to the North Korea issue, we can see Biden's trip as being a win. What he wanted to do was make sure that U.S. allies in the region were basically unified on the North Korea is- issue and that there is the appearance that 
all like that the U.S., that Japan, that South Korea and other allies are ready to act vis-a-vis North Korea nuclearization. Mm-hmm. There's the issue of China and its relationship with Bef- Russia. Before you move to China, though, David, there was no nuke test, right? Isn't that a win for the White House? Absolutely it was, yeah. Uh, at least a perceptual win. Yeah. Uh, one could debate causality and the like. But yes, I, I think there's no doubt that that's a, a, a win that the White House can claim. Do you read into that? I don't, because North Korea is so unpredictable. Um, if, you, if you look at even expert-level North Korea watchers and um, look at how their predictions age once they get to a falsifiable clearing, <laughs> it, it, the record is not great. Okay. And so I don't read too much in. I do say that the White House can claim credit. Whether it deserves credit is you know, a complex causal question that we yeah. will leave to the sages. Got it. So China's watching. All of this happen from the... Well, the other side of the wall, I guess we'll say, David, what are they thinking in Beijing? I think um, they probably have two opposing thoughts at the same time. On the one hand, um, I think that the trip did a good job of showing that the U.S. is on the same page with other allies who President Biden visited when he took his trip to East Asia. On the other hand, I think they can take some solace in um, Biden's statement being walked back by the White House. You're seeing the U.S. in at least somewhat policy disarray Uh is probably relatively heartening. So I think that that they can take, you know, more than one message away. But on the whole, I think the message was was one that Taiwan is not isolated, um, that um, ultimately numerous states are concerned Mm -hmm. about a possible Chinese invasion into Taiwan and that doing so would certainly be diplomatically and economically costly for China. David, the backdrop here, of course, is a war in Ukraine, one that we are very uh, heavily funding here on on behalf of the Ukrainians. The president couldn't answer the, the, the question about Taiwan without referring to Ukraine. It's certainly present in the conversation here. And I need to ask you about what is going on in Ukraine's war against Russia and, of course, our involvement. We heard today not only from the Secretary of Defense, he was briefing with General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and a lot of concern about what's going on in the Black Sea here as Russia essentially uh, helps to starve a, a good chunk of the world by blocking off ports that would Ukraine would be using to export wheat and other grains uh, General Milley talked about the Black Sea as a very dangerous place here. We've got reports uh, at this point that we may be equipping Ukraine uh, with uh, with more naval weapons, uh, torpedo boats and so forth to help go after the Russian fleet in the Black Sea. General Milley uh, speaking to this part of the world today. Here he is. We don't have any U.S. naval vessels in the Black Sea. We don't intend to unless directed. Uh, and uh, right now it's uh, a bit of a stalemate there between uh, the Ukrainians wanting to make sure that there's not any sort of amphibious landing against Odessa, uh, and the and the right now, so that's it's a it's a no go zone for commercial shipping. As an expert on asymmetric warfare, David, when you consider what's happening there and the idea of the U.S. staying in touch with and upgrading the weapons that we're providing, along with Russia's hope to cut off Ukraine from the Black Sea, what do we see happening in the next weeks? The, the next week is is hard to predict, but. I want to talk a little bit about the stakes here, right? Because you mentioned the failure to open the ports, and that's 
come up um, in a number of different contexts, including being raised by the head of the UN World Food Program at, at Davos, at the World Economic Forum. Um, you know, the there are, Ukraine is the world's breadbasket in many ways, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, yeah. Farmers grow enough food to feed 400 million people. Hmm. And right now you have um, multiple people, by some accounts, maybe 50 million people who are um, knocking on famine's door across multiple countries. 43 different countries have the risk of major food crises. Okay. And so the ripple effect is, is substantial in terms of human costs, so there's greater pressure to do something, David. Absolutely, there is. Does the United States get involved more in a naval battle in the Black Sea is my question. So if, if that's the question, I think the answer is a resounding no. Okay. Um, the U.S. is not going, in my opinion, the U.S. is highly unlikely to get involved in direct military action. It's mm-hmm. likely to continue indirectly as it has been. There's some unpredictability, but it seems that President Biden does not want a direct military confrontation with Russia. And that part is not evolving. David Gartenstein-Ross, the CEO of Valens, also an advisor, the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Great insights, and thank you for being with us. The panel's next. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So the actions in Ukraine helped to drive talk about Taiwan during President Biden's trip to Asia. And I suppose we should not be surprised by that. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Welcome to Sound On. It's time to assemble the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us on the fastest hour in politics. Jeannie, you know, with this president, with Joe Biden... Sometimes the words just come out. Is he telling us what he really believes about Taiwan? 
he clearly is. He said it at least three times publicly, you know, and, and when you listen to it, I had a little bit of deja vu back to his last foreign trip when mm. he talked about regime change vis-a-vis -vis Vladimir Putin, and then nice. the White House walked it back. But, you know, it's also, a, I think, important to ask the question, who thought in this world that if Taiwan was invaded by anyone that the U.S. would not be involved? Clearly, any war game you look at, the U.S. is involved if Taiwan is invaded. So he is saying, I think, what he believes. He's saying where U.S. policy has long been drifting and should be. You know, the big question here is, did he say it at the right time, in the right way? You know, has he explained it clearly enough as it differentiates from Ukraine to the American public? Those questions are clear. But the fact is, this has been U.S. policy for some time. It's where we're going. And it's not really a surprise, except that he sort of said it with a one-word answer on this overseas trip. Yeah, to get a yes or no answer to that is is quite remarkable, Rick. Was he trying to... To poke the Chinese a little bit there, to, to, to actually do this intentionally, knowing it would be walked back within minutes? No, I think this is really um, his speaking from the heart, as uh, was mentioned earlier in the interview. Uh, this is, I think, what he thinks, not what is policy of the United States. He, I mean, it wasn't just a yes or no answer. It, it, the thing that I thought was interesting is he says it's a commitment we made. Uh, to defend Taiwan. And I'm not exactly sure what commitment that is, because that is not the one China policy. No. <laughs> we, we've agreed to give Taiwan the necessary means to defend itself. And so, uh, but Jeannie's right. If he wants to then enter into a conflict with China, he's going to have the ability to do that. Uh, that doesn't necessarily have to be U.S. policy, but it can be the actions on the Biden administration. And that, that's probably what he's forecasting. I don't know that this uh, is remembered well or not, Jeannie. It's hard to tell within hours of something like this. But in total, uh, has it been a successful trip? The president is making his first foray into Asia here with a lot of very important allies. He'll be meeting with tomorrow, the Quad, following the visits to South Korea and Tokyo. How's it gone? You know, I think overall it's gone as well as can be expected. You talked a little bit about the, the issue with North Korea, um, the mini TPP announcement. You know, I, I think that's a bit more difficult for the administration because, quite frankly, the problem Biden and any U.S. president has there is our problems with domestic problems with trade versus anything going on overseas. So, you know, to talk about a TPP, imagine him trying to get something like that through Congress right now. You know, that is so prone to so political turmoil over here that's a problem but i think overall he's shored up relations in the best way he can he's trying i think rightly so to follow up response to russia's invasion in ukraine and tell china don't even think about it because the united states has no choice quite frankly given our economic relations and everything else but to respond and let's just be clear there's nothing ambiguous about that everybody knows it the question is when do you say it well that's right uh you Jeannie's referring to the the TPP light, if you will, the mini TPP. They call it the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. About a dozen countries here, Rick. Uh, it's kind of a set of standards, but it's been criticized because it doesn't actually open any new markets to anyone. Is, is, is this just window dressing to kind of have a point for the trip? Well, it's, it's, it's a message, right? I mean, it was, it was brought up during the Obama administration. Uh, Trump uh, knocked it out as uh, part of his administration. He it withdrew sent a signal. from that agreement. Yeah. He withdrew from it. Uh, it sent a signal to the region that um, 
we were going to vacate the region. China moved in with its own version of an export-import bank and a trade development bank. So, I mean, the big chess pieces of the region uh, have, have needed more U.S. engagement. And so, one, this trip does that. It, it reengages the, the president, the head of the country in, in the region. Two, it sends a clear signal uh, that our trade lines are open, that they're not going to have to go to China to get a deal on trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think especially uh, the South Korea trip, uh, they are in a tight position, right? They're bordered by both China and, and, uh, and North Korea. And I think showing support for them in a region where, you know, they live in a very dangerous neighborhood uh, was particularly important at this time because they are such a great ally, mm-hmm. as are the other members of the of the. Uh, of the quad. So um, I think it's a very successful trip just because he took it, you know, and he had a few little things to go along the way uh, yeah. to bolster the agreements. But the fact that he's there shows we can do more than one thing at a time. Well, we're not just wrapped up in Ukraine. That. That showing up is uh, is something. It, it hadn't happened yet. We talked a lot, Jeannie, about the pivot to Asia. What does it tell you that Kim Jong-un decided not to set off a nuke? You know, it's hard to read anything he does or doesn't do. But I have to say, and I agree with Rick, the fact that we are handling our responsibilities vis-a-vis Ukraine and Asia at the same time shows that this idea of a pivot is so 2010s. We're so beyond that. We have to do both. We have to be able to handle our responsibilities in in Europe, rather, and Asia at the same time. And I thought one important thing the president said, unlike his economic advisor over the weekend, he said a recession is not inevitable in the United States. And we got that on tape, right? And that's maybe a political problem for him. His administration won't go so far. So I think that's another important statement that came out of this that's been under discussed the first read from rick and Jeannie on the trip here they're with us for the hour and we will bring the panel back as we turn to monkey pox next are we ready for this we'll talk with an expert on infectious disease and what this might mean for policy and public health i'm joe matthew this is bloomberg Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. We have yet to win the war on covid Cases are rising again in a number of cities, including New York. And, well, here comes monkeypox. The White House tamping down concerns. We're going to learn a lot more about it, though, from an expert. Dr. Matt Lawrence from the University of Maryland will be here next. The symptoms, they say, begin with fever, headache, general lethargy. I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about monkeypox. You up the speed here? A rare and potentially deadly cousin of the smallpox virus, and it's now spreading in areas we tend not to see monkeypox, Europe and North America. Now, before COVID, you know, this may have just stayed under the news media radar. Not now, though. It's a big story, whether you want it to be or not, whether it deserves to be or not. So we need to learn about it. President Biden offered initial remarks when he was first asked on his trip to Asia. These are remarks that have since been clarified. Here's the first swing. What have your health advisors told you your level of concern should be about monkeypox and the cases that are in the United States and around the world? Well, they haven't told me the level of exposure yet, but it is something that everybody should be concerned about. We're working on it hard. 
figure out what we do and what uh, vaccine, if any, may be available for it. But it is a concern in the sense that if it were to spread, it's consequential. That's all okay. A concern if it were to spread consequential. Uh, whoa. Uh, what? The president then clarified his remarks not much later as he spoke in Tokyo. I just don't think it rises to the level of the kind of concern that existed with COVID-19. But I think people should be careful. Oh. Well, that sounds better. Uh, the the president's COVID response coordinator, they call him the COVID czar, uh, says more cases are likely to follow. We heard from uh, Dr. Ashish Shah, the White House coronavirus response coordinator. Here's his take. I would not be surprised if we see a few more cases in the upcoming days. Anytime we have an infectious disease outbreak like this, we should all be paying attention. Okay, so everyone's paying attention, but there's not a lot to worry about. Is that what I'm hearing? The president says the U.S. does have enough smallpox vaccine stockpile to deal with the outbreak. Pretty great news. We didn't start COVID that way, but he says people still need to be careful. And we want to compare notes with an expert, as I mentioned, in this case, an expert in infectious disease. Dr. Matt Lawrence, professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, is with us right now to help us learn a little bit more here. Doctor, are you concerned about this or is is the president uh, getting it right in his clarified remarks? Well, It's something that we should definitely pay attention to and something that we should track and trace as far as the likelihood of it causing significant illness and Mm -hmm. hospitalization in the general public. It doesn't appear to be fatal for most individuals. So it's not rising to the level of concern such as COVID-19. Makes you feel better to know we have an ample supply of smallpox vaccine or does it not get that far? Well, absolutely. So we do know that the smallpox vaccine is highly protective against monkeypox. But as you know, the the majority of the U.S. population born in the 1970s and after are not vaccinated against uh, smallpox. So this would be a concern for that piece of the population. Yeah. Um, But. I'm not sure that we need to go and vaccinate everyone for smallpox. Okay. How come? How come, doctor? Yeah. Well, the, the the. level of transmission is very low for this illness. So with monkeypox, it requires contact to spread. So it can't be spread through the air, through uh, respiratory droplets very easily. You'd have to be really close to someone and they'd have to cough on you pretty hard. And you'd have to be hit with those respiratory droplets to uh, be infected. We understand that it is sexually transmitted. That is correct, doctor? It appears that that could be the case. We're learning more about this particular outbreak, and there have been statements from Europe that that suggest that there is sexual transmission that's involved in the current outbreak that's occurring. Mm -hmm. Uh, But very little is known about this uh, virus in terms of how it spreads and uh, how it's evolved. Well, so, Doctor, uh, that said, how do policymakers respond to this appropriately? We're coming off of, you know, the historic pandemic here. I like to think we're coming off. It feels like sometimes we're going back in, but based on what we've learned from COVID, based on uh, some of the hesitancy that we've seen uh, from Americans in the age of COVID, what's the most effective approach for policymakers and for this administration? 
Absolutely. So what we should prioritize now are the standard epidemiology practices of identification of affected individuals, isolation and quarantine to stop the spread, and then continued monitoring of others that are coming from areas that are affected or who have been close contacts. These will help to contain the spread of of the monkeypox. Will this re- will this result in new travel uh, warnings, mandates, et cetera? Are we going to start keeping people out of the country coming from certain places? Probably not to that degree. There might be heightened uh, surveillance in individuals if they've been exposed to someone, but simply travel to an affected country probably will not have uh, implications as far as limitations or restrictions. Boy, I'll tell you. Do you ever think we'd be talking about this one? I mean, has this been on your radar, doctor? It certainly hasn't, but, you know, as recently as last year, two cases were uh, identified in the United States, one in Texas and one in a patient in Maryland. So it's not something that we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. It's just this particular outbreak appears to be large and and show uh, different uh, modes of transmission potentially compared to previous outbreaks. Well, I hope that uh, next time we talk to you, it's to say, gosh, good thing you were right, Doc, uh, because it, it, it does have a different level of urgency in the age of COVID. Dr. Matt Lawrence, great to have you, professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, an infectious disease expert with us on monkeypox here. What's next? Well, the panel's next. Maybe we'll get into this for a minute, but we have to prepare you for primary day tomorrow. It's a big one. Brand Trump on the line in Georgia, and Rick and Jeannie have the analysis coming up. On the fastest hour in politics, this is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Three more states vote tomorrow, another important primary day, one of the most important yet with Georgia voting. 
personal for Donald Trump, they say, in a couple of big races that he could have trouble winning at least his endorsed candidates. But well, we still don't know the outcome of the last one, the Pennsylvania Republican Senate Republican primary. This is the big one where he endorsed Dr. Oz over David McCormick. They're within hundreds of votes now, and it does appear a recount is likely. Let's get into it with the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano. Rick, uh, this is going to go to a recount, right? It's inevitable at this point. Yeah, it's inevitable uh, right now. The current count has the uh, a little over 900 votes between Dr. Oz and uh, David McCormick. So that's about as close as it gets. Yeah. And right now, the expectation is there'll be a recount and that it should be over by around uh, June 7th. They're already arguing about undated ballots, Jeannie. Is anyone going to believe the recount? That's the big question. You know, you heard even Rona McDaniel, the the head of the RNC, she yeah. said ballots should not be counted without a date. But of course, in an unrelated case, you had a judge come out in Pennsylvania and say you can count undated absentee ballots. What timing for that? And of course, the McCormick campaign seized on that and Oz's campaign shot back that they are acting like Democrats. And, you know, so <laughs> I agree. There's obviously going to be a recount whether people will believe it. But what's so fascinating here is this is Republican on Republicans, you know, questioning about this vote count and what you can trust and what you can't. And, you know, you have to wonder if this keeps going on. At what point do Republicans start to question this entire idea that the 2020 election was stolen? Because now other people in their own party are saying their own votes shouldn't be counted. So it's a big mess for Republicans. John Fetterman out of the hospital. Uh, Rick Davis, we talked about this. He had a stroke a couple days before the primary. He won it uh, without, you know, any issue at all, a commanding lead here. Is this the best thing that could happen to him, this recount underway now? Well, it certainly stymies a Republican uh, launching and consolidating his campaign and consolidating the Republican Party of Pennsylvania. So, sure. I mean, anytime you can get a couple of weeks head start in politics, you want to take it. Okay. Um, but he's got to do it himself, right? He's got to convince people that he's healthy enough and vigorous enough to mount mm-hmm. a campaign. So uh, I'd say uh, both Republicans and Democrats have their own challenges to overcome. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see who's best at doing that even before the real campaign starts. Yeah. Speaking of stealing elections, Jeannie, it's on to Georgia tomorrow. Kind of the, I don't know if you could say that, call it ground zero or for the controversy at least. Uh, because Donald Trump blames Governor Brian Kemp. He blames the Secretary of State. And these are the two races that we're watching here. It appears his chosen candidate, at least for governor and former Senator Purdue, is just it's it, it's it's such a long shot that it's basically impossible for him to win this now. He's he's down by over 20 points. Yeah, it's pretty much over. Kemp has started focusing on the general election, obviously, versus Stacey Abrams. And, you know, what's fascinating to me was when Kemp has been asked by reporters, he says, oh, I have a good relationship with Pence, who's obviously endorsing him and Trump. And then he went on to say, I'm not mad at Trump. He's mad at me, which is, you know, actually a really interesting response, because you can bet that when this is over and certainly Kemp wraps this up, that Trump is going to find a way to turn this around. But I think Kemp has been telling voters throughout the state that, listen, let's focus on what's going on here. We're not going to listen to outsiders. And that has worked for him. He's 20 points up over Purdue, who stopped even running ads at this point. So it is Mm -hmm. very much over. He's got the RGA behind him here, Rick. He's also got a guy named Mike Pence, bold enough to campaign for him against the Trump endorsed candidate. Uh, There was a tweet earlier today 
from Jonathan Martin at the New York Times who came out with that most recent book about Trump that had all the Kevin McCarthy tape on it. He started the tweet by saying the rupture is now complete. Is he right? You know, look, I mean, the Republican governors uh, met recently in Arizona and said they're tired of this vendetta tour and they're going to take a position against it. Um, so there are there are a lot of Republican governors who are pretty upset with this uh, uh, prosecution that 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 the president, uh, the former president has done against them because they because they counted and certified an election in 2020. It's got nothing to do with the election today. I would say uh, Brian Kemp is right. Donald Trump does not like him. He spent two and a half million dollars of his PAC money, which for him to spend any PAC money is a a really interesting uh, development. But uh, this is a hard-fought race. And I would say not only Mike Pence, but his former chief of staff, Mark Short, who's Mm -hmm. now been working for Brian Kemp, wants to make sure that they exceed the 50% threshold to not have to do a runoff and that they can do a victory lap around Donald Trump. And that is the number one thing that's going to happen tomorrow. The Brad Raffensperger, the, the Secretary of State race, the other big one that people are watching. You ever heard, Rick, of a congressman stepping, I, I guess, down to run for a state office like this? Well, this is another uh, Donald Trump-inspired campaign. I mean, he really is trying campaign. to to take out um, uh, Brad Raffensperger and and recruited Jody Heiss to run in this race. So you're yeah. right. Uh, he's taken one for the team in this regard. Uh, yes. But the team Trump uh, really, uh, this is another dangerous one, though. It's a dead heat right now. But if Brad Raffensperger pulls this out, it'll be a real down day for Donald Trump. Boy, that's for sure. Uh, I, what's your expectation on that one, Jeannie? You know, I, it, I think it's really too close to call. Like like Rick was saying, they are neck and neck at this point. Mm-hmm. But if you can imagine, if you have Jody Heiswin and Mastriano in Pennsylvania in two critical states, you will then have secretaries of state in place who question the validity of the 2020 election. And, of course, reports out this weekend shows that that is, you know, uh, where we have many candidates on the Republican side and 70 percent of those that Trump endorsed. And that raises real trouble for 2024. Well, this time tomorrow, and of course, the once we have the results on Wednesday, we're going to be talking a lot more about this. There's going to be some good ones in Arkansas. We've got three states voting tomorrow. Georgia, though, is going to be uh, taking up all the ink, likely because of these two races. Uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to just remind everybody, encourage everybody, especially if you're just showing up now, to subscribe to the Sound On podcast. And I, I feel more of a need to do that knowing that word, I didn't realize this, there's ever more competition. Even Ted Cruz has his own podcast. Now, of course, people use the term podcast loosely. This is an online video segment that he produces. Uh, And boy, he's getting a lot of attention. He even got Jeannie's attention, which is why I'm talking about it now. I don't, first of all, I don't know why every elected uh, official needs a podcast. But then again, that's the age we're in. Everyone gets a show. And he's making news, not talking about a politician, but Pete Davidson. You guys watch Saturday Night Live, Pete Davidson? I was actually excited when I found out, you know, we had to wear masks because I figured this sounds really crappy to say, but like I figured less people would recognize me. But it didn't work because everyone can still recognize me from my eyes. (laughs) You know, you see someone who looks like he just woke up and hasn't slept in days. That guy, that guy. He just had his last show on Saturday night. Dating Kim Kardashian now. And Ted Cruz just doesn't get it. He's got a podcast. It's called The Verdict. 
He talks to some other guy remotely about it while he's sitting in a big easy chair with a microphone, big mic stand, the senator from Texas, as they talked about something, I th- what was it? Toxic femininity? Kim seems fine. She, uh, the SNL guy, I don't, I can't, I don't know. This I'm, I'm Pete Team Davidson. Kanye. I know, what can I say? Uh, I mean, Pete Davidson. All right. How come mm-hmm. that dude gets all of these, like, hot women? Because what? of toxic femininity, Senator. What? That is the evidence that something has gone wrong. <laughs> Pete Davidson was dating Kate Beckinsdale. I mean, you're that's, talking that's underworld. You're talking, like, yeah. super hot vampire <laughs> what? in black leather trench coat. What? And mm. you're like, really? The SNL dude? Like, wow. Yeah. That's Ted Cruz, the Senator Harvard Educated senator from Texas who's even been mentioned as possibly being on the short list for the Supreme Court. Uh, Jeannie, you own this. Wouldn't be talking about it right now without you. Should elected members of Congress have podcasts, for starters? Well, for starters, everybody should go to Sound On, listen to that podcast. It's the <laughs> best right. podcast. Well, um, and, you know, I'm so sorry I brought this up. <laughs> I was just so stunned as much as I cover everything going on. Who's to, making an ad with this, to, though? Come on. Yeah, to learn that Ted Cruz had this podcast, and it wasn't policy-oriented. He was there focusing on why, you know, women find Pete Davidson attractive. That's And so, you know, it was stunning to me, which is why I brought it up. And, you know, I I think I will just join with Behar, Joy Behar, who said today that people like people, men and women like Pete Davidson, because he's funny, Ted Cruz. He's very funny. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Just make him laugh, Rick. Just make him laugh. Uh, But, you know, look, to hear the senator, though, describing his affinity uh, for leather clad vampire women. Seems like it might be a liability someday down the road. Is that just me? Well, I can't wait to see what his wife is wearing on Halloween. That's all I can say. Super hot vampires everywhere in the neighborhood. Heidi, come on now. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that that people wish for when they're running again. Although, I don't know, in this day and age, we're in the Trump age, Rick. Does it matter? Uh, I think it'll help him if he's, I mean, he's such a dweeb. I mean, a Harvard-educated lawyer. Are you kidding me? Anything that could get him uh, more in tune with uh, Joe Sixpack, he'd be doing well by doing that. Unbelievable. Uh, Jeannie, you're going to make me subscribe. I mean, there's more where this came from, I'm assuming, right? There's got to be. I am not a subscriber. I've actually no. never heard it until this crap. Oh, sure. So, <laughs> sure. I have not, but I will say yeah. I am a subscriber to yeah. Sound On. So, yes, so that's- just. We'll just keep spirit. talking about Sound On, right. and maybe Ted Cruz can listen to Sound On and get some tips. That's right. Uh, to the senator, who I know loves this broadcast as well, when he's here in the nation's capital or driving around with the satellite receiver, do us a favor and subscribe to Bloomberg Sound On. The fastest hour in politics with the best panel, Rick and Jeannie, back tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.